I want to rehash what we were talking about before, what we can no longer do on the podcast. We, what was it? Okay. No ASMR talk. Yes. No, that one's in. What? Yes. I don't want to talk. In. Oh. Asmer's in. Podcastlandia. No checks from Russia. No checks from Russia. That's done. Nothing about furries. Oh, hold on. Furries nobody okay. brought up. No. Yeah, nobody no, brought up not, furries, yeah, but no, you. Furries. <laughs> no slurping is okay. No, no slurping. Okay, slurping is okay. So that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else that's that it. you cut out. That's We're keeping it. the quacks. Uh, well, as far as profanity, I mean, you know, if it's gonna happen, some of it's gonna slip some, in. Some of yeah. You mean we all we all have potty <laughs> mouths here. Um, but I would keep it as clean as possible because boy it's really dang hard to edit out the cusses yeah. <laughs> i think this is the point in the podcast where, where we, we should, should turn off the air conditioner <laughs> yeah we should turn it was it is the air conditioner going this whole time and behind the banter can we cut that out that can we not. cut the air conditioner <laughs> no, out I don't can know. we cut everything yeah. out no, I thought the I thought the banter was really good. Banter is good, folks. We have the air conditioner on. It's summertime. So we're done with the banter. It's getting hot and sweaty. Summertime, hot and sticky living. out, and folks, so am I. Vex is on the mic so with the. Sublime. I don't know why didn't I start singing Sublime? Because I meant to sing the original one from uh, from the musical. What's the What's the musical? The musical is Porg and Bessie, right? Hammer Google Hammerstein. It's it's coming from his phone. <laughs> what the hell is that? It's summertime. This is the song. This is the original song. Yeah. It's summertime in the living's easy. You guys have never heard summertime before, like the jazz tune, Hammerstein jazz tune. It's, it sounds beautiful. I don't know. It is. It's good. <laughs> I like it. Welcome to Crashing the System Podcast. My name is Vex Humana, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Samantha Jacobs. Hello. And John Beecham. How are you, Vex? Doing, doing all right. That's excellent. Yeah. Crashing the System is recorded in Chicago's Albany Park neighborhood, home to one of the most diverse, working class, and immigrant communities in the U.S., produced by Answer Chicago in the Chicago branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. We here at Crashing the System bring you progressive movement news, views, and analysis from a fighting, independent, political perspective. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, that's right. That's and Will, right. how are you? Will, how you doing? I'm feeling pretty good. Good. All right. Good to hear. Good Samantha? To hear that, Will. I'm what do we wonderful. Got? What do we got for the show? On today's show, we will be speaking to Natalie Harizi about her socialist campaign in the California elections, the shocking news about the lead content of Chicago's tap water, and we have a short segment about youth and socialism. But before we can crash the system, here's co-host and Answer Chicago coordinator John Beecham with our weekly editorial. 
Before I get to Puerto Rico and the new study on Hurricane Maria, and before I reflect on the anniversary of the 1921 destruction of Black Tulsa by a coordinated white racist mob, I wanted to first make sure that crashing the system expresses its unconditional support for the Palestinian people as they continue their protest against the racist apartheid colonial settler state of Israel. As U.S. imperialism joins with its junior partner Israel in escalating a renewed aggression in the Middle East, the Palestinian people are now under open attack by the United States. The Trump administration and the U.S. media openly and unabashedly supported the recent massacres in Gaza, even going so far as to be the main source of pro-Israeli propaganda in the world. Not only did Trump move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, contrary to the will of the people inhabiting planet Earth, but Chuck Schumer, the most powerful Democrat in the United States, openly applauded the move. The importance of raising the banners and placards for a free Palestine from the soil of the United States, for us standing for the end of the occupation and the right of return for all Palestinians has never been more important and we must continue and we will continue to escalate our solidarity with the people of Palestine. 4,645 people. According to a Harvard study, that's how many people died in Puerto Rico because of Hurricane Maria. 4,645 people. In 2005, nearly 2,000 people died in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Most, if not all those deaths, are directly attributable to the U.S. government and the U.S. government's policies and the U.S. government's neglect. And not just neglect, in both cases, in Katrina and Maria, the U.S. government physically prevented people from receiving relief. In fact, they attacked people for seeking relief. The U.S. government uses disasters to carry out racist gentrification and harmful austerity measures against workers and poor people. Who was it that died in these man-made disasters? It was the elderly. It was children. It was disproportionately poor and oppressed people. Do you know how many people died because of hurricanes in socialist Cuba? The truth is that very few people die even when the hurricanes devastate the island nation. Why is that? It's because Cuba, which has far fewer resources than the United States, uses its resources and collective planning to move people out of harm's way and protect and rebuild working people's property. May 31st marks the anniversary of what is often referred to as the 1921 Tulsa Race Riot, an event which is being circulated widely on my social media feeds. In 1921 in Tulsa, a lynch mob of thousands of whites who used airplanes, machine guns, and mortar fire destroyed what has often been called Black Wall Street. 
At least 300 people were lynched and killed. 10,000 people lost their homes, and over 6,000 people were arrested. Black Tulsa was destroyed and has never recovered. The local and state governments, the media, the cops, and the Klan all conspired to carry out the attack. The federal government did nothing. That is until the number of white people who had been killed in sporadic fighting reached over 30. The horrible fact about Tulsa in 1921 was that it was in no way an isolated incident. Between roughly 1877 and the 1920s, over 5,000 people were lynched on U.S. soil and racist white mobs, in coordination with newspapers, business elites, the cops, and governments, carried out hundreds of Tulsa-like riots all over the country, from the West Coast to the East Coast, from the North to the South. There was, in fact, a war on black America after the end of the Civil War that was perhaps unlike anything else in U.S. history. The, quote, Civil War, unquote, which was really a war between two states, the Confederacy being completely committed to white supremacy and slavery, was really won by 200,000 black people who fought in the U.S. Army and smashed the Confederacy, arms in hand. Immediately after the war between the two states, a reign of terror against the black population ensued, carried out and financed by former leaders of the Confederacy. By 1877, the federal government ceased all defense of black people and reconciled with the former slaveocracy, instituting an era of brutal apartheid, an era that was enforced by the lynchings and riots mentioned above. The real truth and barbarity of this apartheid era has been purposely concealed from the people of the United States. The reason for this is simple. White supremacy in the United States are inseparable and nothing shows this more clearly than the apartheid era. An era, if we are to be honest, has not really been defeated. The apartheid era has also been mostly lost to the official history of this country because the elites of this country do not want you to know about the black struggle as it actually existed in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. It was an era when black veterans of World War I started shooting back at the white racist rioters. It was an era when the Communist Party was the party of black people. It was an era that was characterized by black unionism and armed sharecroppers banding together to stand up to the Klan. In fact, it was the black militancy of this period that greatly diminished the riots and lynchings and paved the way for the civil rights movement and the eventual victory over legal apartheid. This week, we remember the martyrs of Tulsa. We remember all those who have defended themselves by any means necessary from the barbarity of this white supremacist country. We will keep fighting until racism is utterly smashed underneath the marching feet of a united front of workers and oppressed people. Up first on Crashing the System, we'd like to welcome Natalie Harizi, who is running for insurance commissioner in California on the Peace and Freedom ticket. She's also a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Natalie, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. Uh, Natalie, can you fill us in on how the insurance commissioner campaign is going and uh, just generally why you decided to run? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we entered the race and, and did all the petitioning and fundraising we needed to make it onto the ballot for the June primary in California and um, and then launched the campaign in, in January. And the insurance commissioner campaign is part of a larger slate of candidates that were running on the Peace and Freedom Party, which is the only socialist party on the ballot in California. And we're running um, people for governor, treasurer, secretary of state, and controller. But the insurance commissioner campaign has a particular set of demands that it's taking up. And really, that's one of the main reasons that we're running and that I'm running for this position is because we wanted to raise the banner of healthcare for all and abolishing the insurance companies and really make that a political point on a larger program about socialism, about calling for housing, healthcare, and jobs as a right, but also in a moment of crisis, despite even the Affordable Care Act, there is a crisis in access to healthcare in California in this hugely populous, wealthy state uh, that spends an 18% of its gross domestic product, just the state's gross domestic product, on healthcare, and yet has 2 million people without insurance and many million more underinsured. So, you know what, actually, and Natalie, can you can you explain for our listeners, because we're, we're in Illinois, we don't have an insurance commissioner, I don't think. No, I don't I, I don't know what the so. state does. Can you just That's explain true. that just so people know? Oh, sure, totally. Uh, so, the, there's only three states that actually elect the insurance commissioner, and most states have an insurance commissioner that's appointed. Um, very few of them are elected, and they run the insurance department. And what the insurance department does is regulate a whole host of forms of insurance throughout the state. Uh, it deals with, you know, fraud, with insurance companies and regulating, the, you know, raising premiums, things like that. And it also is a political department. So it has a budget um, in the state of California is uh, has a budget dedicated towards um, po- political programs and outreach programs related to various forms of insurance, which may be health insurance, although the majority of their work is actually not with health insurance, um, but a lot of their political work is related to health insurance. And then car, disaster insurance, all sorts of different forms of insurance. And the head of it is the insurance commissioner, um, and it's a very political position. The current insurance commissioner is actually running for attorney general and clearly seeking, you know, higher office. Sure. And you were, I think you were starting to talk uh, more broadly um, about why you're running the campaign before I rudely, yeah. rudely <laughs> interjected. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's good. It's good to explain these things. Um, but I was just saying that, you know, and part of it is to to raise that political banner talking about healthcare, but also talking about the role of insurance companies in society. Um, And the primary election in California is a particular kind of election because it's a top two primary. And so only the top two vote getters, regardless of their party affiliation, move on to the November election. And what has happened in California is the primary election has become the general election. And that's, even though, um, you know, the general election still has a larger voter turnout, many more people are paying attention to the primary election to what's happening in the California primary elections because of this kind of shift related to the top two primary. And we're running to try and reach out to the millions of people who are paying attention to the elections and raise the banner of socialism, raise the ideas of socialism and the ideas of really removing 
the parasitic insurance companies from society, pointing out that they don't really provide a service. And I think that's been uh, a really important part of the campaign as we run it, and one that we've noticed people are very much responding to. Yeah, well, tell us, tell us about how people are responding to. How's the uh, campaign going as of now? Sure, totally. Uh, so we just had news this week. There was an article on the front page of the business section of the LA Times, which is the mostly widely read paper in the state, that uh, cited a poll, the Probolski poll, showing that um, I was at 5.9% of the vote. So people were asked, you know, if you if you voted today for insurance commissioner, who would you vote for? Natalie Reese. And the top vote. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lord willing. Natalie's still there? Oh, no. We can't hear you, Natalie, just so you know. You killed her. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Natalie. I, I, like, moved. I'm uh, not going to move again. Natalie. I'm going to stay oh, yeah, that's okay. still. Sorry, you were uh, saying, Natalie? Okay. Yeah, I was saying the top vote-getter um, in response to that question was Steve Koisner, who um, is a Republican and has served in the office before, but he only came in with 23% of the vote. And so 5.9% of the vote for a socialist candidate would mean that hundreds of thousands of people were voting for a socialist candidate, openly socialist candidate, demanding that, you know, the insurance companies be abolished and that everyone have a right to health care. And that's that's a significant, um, yeah, (laughs) that's pretty great. A week before the election, that comes out in the LA Times. And it's great news. um, The other thing the poll said is that over half of the voters are undecided. So that number could really shift. I mean, it could shift lower. We're hoping it shifts higher. Um, and we're really getting the sense that it will. We printed a statement in the voter's guide that went out to 20 million people across the state. And um, that's actually a challenge because they charge you $25 a word to have that statement in that voter guide. Wow. And that becomes very pricey very quickly. So yeah. we had to do some important fundraising, but it's sent out to millions of people. Uh, and then we've done outreach all over the state in all sorts of different ways through palm cards and internet outreach. And there's a video on Facebook that we put out recently. But all of it seems to be getting um, a really positive response because you say something like abolish the insurance companies and people sort of look at you. There's definitely a look they get in their face like, really, is that possible? <laughs> and then they think about it and they're like, oh, yeah, they don't do anything. Like you can see <laughs> that happening. Like, yeah, I'm for that. And then, you know, they get kind of excited. Uh, so, so it's it exciting. Is, it's a great for sure. response. Yeah. 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 To be to think, oh, yeah, I don't need that. And then, you know, you talk about going to the doctor and not having to pay for it. Um, and people start to really think that through. And it's a great opening for more conversations, for more activity. I think it's been a really, really positive response in general. Yeah. You know what? It's very, very encouraging hearing what you're communicating to us. Um, and I think it's a clear indication that um, the population is, or at least a decent part of the population is continuing to look for answers to the problems that are happening, is not necessarily obeying the status quo. Because um, I've worked in election campaigns and you know, ha- having said stuff like that, you know, sometimes it resonates, sometimes it doesn't. But it seems more and more like socialist ideals or just, you know, socialist ideals are just basic ideals of justice, really. I mean... Like, it's pretty simple. Like, what purpose, like you said, do insurance companies serve in society? I mean, they're just, they're a detriment. They're a plague. Um, so I don't know. It's right. very, very encouraging to see that happen. I was just thinking in my mind, gosh, if we, if we had more resources, if we had more 
people, you know, and I'm sure you have like lots of volunteers and the fact that you've been able to raise that money is great. But I think if we could just reach the people, um, so maybe you can just, I don't know, whatever, take whatever you said and go wherever you want with it. But I think this whole idea about reaching the people through an election campaigns, some people write it off, but I I think it's so important just to re you know, just to use every means at our disposals to reach people. Right. It's where the people are at, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, people are at there. Well, that's where people are at the elections right now, that and watching Russiagate. I don't know. People actually are probably (laughs) not watching Russiagate that much anymore, quite honestly. Probably people are tired of it, but, um, anyway, I I think, I think there's a lot, especially for people who are sort of already socialists or already convinced that the system is bankrupt, that there can be sort of a rejection of the elections because they just seem so rigged, right? Like you look at the elections and and many people who are not socialists look at them and they're like, well, I don't even know if I'm going to vote because what's the point? You know, we're just sort of voting for who's going to rule over us. And That's choosing between two options, neither of which are going to solve the crisis we're in. But at the same time, the elections have the attention of so many people. Right. And what we're saying is so refreshing in a way, because it's not just what we're saying, it's like what we're doing. So people say, you know, they're, they hear the ideas and the ideas are new because no one in U.S. politics will say these things. I mean, we have a gubernatorial candidate in California Gloria Larivo, who's talking about, you know, undocumented immigrants and their right to be here and right to work and right to do that without fear. Um, and none of the other gubernatorial candidates are speaking about that. Um, and they have some, you know, progressive things they're talking about. Single-payer health care is an issue in the governor's race here in California, but they're not talking about police brutality. They won't. They, in fact, Elaine Easton said she wouldn't talk about the issue of Israel and Palestine wow. because it was a national issue, not an issue that relates to California yet. There's a bill in the assembly trying to diminish the power of the BDS movement here. So it absolutely is a state issue. Um, and I think when people hear those ideas, they, they really start to think. And they start to think, okay, all of the crises I face in my life, these people are talking about those crises. And then they're also talking about what we're going to do about them. And they're not asking us to just vote. They're asking us to do something, to come out into the street to come out and talk to other workers, to be part of sort of developing a movement. And I think that's a very powerful message. And we wouldn't want to not do that, right? We wouldn't want to say, just because we we know capitalist elections are incredibly bankrupt and they're undemocratic, we won't participate um, necessarily. We want to participate while calling them out for what they are. And I do think that's very powerful for people. Yes, the socialist election campaign has to be a struggle campaign, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I can't be divorced from like you know. I can't uh, all of a sudden we can't magically, um, or we shouldn't magically like enter into another dimension and say this is just about the elections. Not at all. Right. I'm encouraged by what you're saying. I mean, it it sounds like a fighting campaign, um, and I think we're, it's we're um, trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's uphill for us. I mean, we should be honest too. The elections are uphill for us, even uh, everywhere, and even the way they've changed the electoral process in California to supposedly make it more democratic, where they do the June. Uh, they do the June primary where only two, you know, everybody can run, but um, only two people advance to the general election. I mean, that ends up being a way of trying to just get people off the ballot and actually um, narrow the choices. I mean, get more control over the electoral process. But I think that's important to fight against too, wherever we can, especially right now, we shouldn't bury our heads and not 
in the sand and like not be with those people who are focusing on the election. There's lots of, in my experience doing this, there's lots of progressive and revolutionary minded people who we can can reach out to and find in the elections. I mean, maybe they don't know there's another alternative or maybe, um, you know, they're deciding to enter into an election campaign because it's something they can do and it's political, which is also a good trait in a revolutionary. You know what I mean? Right. And I think also the election sometimes can serve as a flashpoint in the struggle. I mean, there's a struggle coming up in California for the November election where they're trying to um, overturn a very reactionary anti-tenant law, the Costa-Hawkins Act. Um, And, you know, the landlords and real estate are going to mobilize heavily against this. And it's going to be up to us to organize. And it's not going to be a question just of sort of the elections, but it's going to be a question of how many people can we mobilize to support overturning this act? And that's, that's a struggle. It's a huge struggle in California and I know across the country, but housing is a major question in this state Yeah, uh, across the state. And when you run an election, you can, you can raise your profile in a way um, and you're able to intervene in the struggle in a much, a much more broad way. Um, There's nothing, there's nothing wrong about, a, a party or a socialist party like the PSL or, or PSL members like yourself and Gloria engaging in those elections and trying to raise the profile of socialists just by um, having people get to know us, having people get to know our politics. Um, I, I don't think there's anything that precludes and there shouldn't socialists from engaging in this arena. Yeah, especially at this moment, I think, in in U.S. politics, where there's so much that needs to be fought back against and such a need to build a movement, that if we can be out in an arena where people are paying attention and they're really asking a lot of questions right now. I mean, I think the the election of Trump and the imposition of the Trump agenda and what's happening and the, the confusion and lack of understanding surrounding Russiagate, all of these things um, and the sort of reactionary push are, are pushing people to think, well, what is really going on? What's, you know, why is this happening? Why are we at this moment uh, sort of facing all these different crises? And, and I think they look at the elections and they don't see a whole lot of answers unless they see a socialist there and they hear from us. And I think there's another inspiring campaign here in California with Jordan Mills in the 49th district in North County of San Diego, where that's really, um, has really come to the, to the forefront. Like he's, very much pushed the debate even within the election there, which is very, very full. It's like the gubernatorial uh, race where there's just so many candidates, but he's become a pole for socialist politics and is pushing everyone to the left, but is also really raising these ideas. And that doesn't happen in congressional elections or debates. They don't raise these issues. They stick to a sort of standard line and that's what you're supposed to talk about. And disrupting that is important, I think. Yeah, uh, Natalie, could you tell us more about that campaign? If sure. you know more. Um, so, what? Well, yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, Jordan Mills is running in the 49th district in San Diego. Uh, so, it's in the North County area of San Diego. And it was Daniel Issa's spot. And he actually dropped Ooh. out of the race. Yeah, yeah. that's right, right. <laughs> and, yeah, so he was going to be sort of, you know, the person everyone was running against. And he um, dropped out of the race, and it's sort of a wide open field. But Jordan and um, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, the Peace and Freedom Party in the area, have been working really, really hard to bring a lot of attention to critical issues in that area. So they've addressed the war numerous times. They actually went down to the border with a veterans group 
Mm-hmm. Of, uh, deported veterans and you know we're at the border with these people who have been um, deported and they have fought in the wars and their families were on one side and they on the other and they um, had a big press event and you know really mobilized it's just one of many many issues they've been addressing uh, in terms of the housing crisis affordability the living standards of people in the area and um, the material he's produced and the debates he's been able to be on have really created a uh, Uh, a lot of attention for socialism and for socialist politics in that area. And it's kind of a critical race, a critical area, especially because Daniel Issa left left the race. So, yeah, it's been very inspiring to see uh, what's happening and to hear from people down there just about the amount of attention um, that socialism and socialist politics have gotten through through that, that sort of congressional race. Great. Well, thank you again for joining us, Natalie. We've got a couple minutes left here. Uh, if you have any final comments or if you want to let people know how to find out more about the campaign. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I would like to say that uh, I do have a website. It's Hrizi, H-R-I-Z-I, 2018.com. And people can visit the website. We have, uh, you know, we'd like people to support us in social media if they can. So we have Vote Socialist CA on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram uh, for all of the, the candidates, the socialist candidates we're running with here in California. And it would be very, very helpful if people sort of like the work and, um, and are hearing something they, they want to support, if they could make a donation in these last few days. We have this huge mobilization across the state going on. So we kind of kicked it off Friday with events in San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Sacramento. Uh, all at the same time, and today and tomorrow and all the way through Tuesday, there's banner drops, there's lawn signs going out, we're mass leafleting various events across the state um, and in public transportation hubs all the way through Tuesday. And uh, any donation people could make on that website would really help us to, to do that and to, to afford the cost of that outreach push, which we think is critically important. So we're doing it. We're in the midst of it. People are out right now doing it. Um, but yeah, just support in any way you can. And then on June 6th, after the election, join us in the struggle and uh, be part of the Party for Socialism and Liberation and the struggle that we're building across this country and the struggle for socialism. That's great. We're going to boost all that stuff. On I'm going to donate and we're going to boost. On, uh, Vax and Samantha are going to donate too? Sure. Perhaps not. I don't sure. know. For sure. But um, we're going to... Sure. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're definitely going to actually start boosting that campaign now. And um, we will, that's why we wanted, that's part of the reason why we want you on the podcast, why we wanted you on the podcast. And um, we will be boosting, getting this uh, podcast done as soon as possible and getting it out there too. And and we'll have all that information on the the podcast um, promotion. Yeah. Sweet. Thank Uh, you so much. Thanks Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, Natalie, for continuing to kick some ass. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) We're working on it. Right on. All right. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Natalie. Crashing the System needs your support. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to the real resistance, then please go to patreon.com slash crashing the system and become a monthly patron. You can also donate on PayPal at answer at chicagoanswer.net and crashing the system podcast on GoFundMe. Every single penny you contribute will be used to crash this racist, sexist, homophobic system. Next on Crashing the System, we'd like to once again welcome Patrick McWilliams. Welcome back, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Patrick, we've invited you on today because we wanted to have a discussion about the amount of lead uh, found in Chicago's tap water. 
many reports mm. indicate that you know they're really unhealthy levels uh you know brain damaging heavy metals in our water. Mm -hmm. Uh, What can you tell us about this? Sure. So, I mean, it is, as you said, a very serious issue, a brain-damaging issue. Recently, um, back in April, actually, um, the the most recent reporting on this, there was an analysis conducted by um, the Chicago Tribune that showed 70% um, of homes in Chicago are contaminated by lead, 70% of those uh, tested. Um, This follows up, actually, there was a, a 2013 EPA study of Chicago, Chicago, right, specifically right. focusing um, <clears throat> on the uh, lead water service pipes uh, that exist in the city and showing that uh, there were elevated levels high above what the city had been estimating and assuring people that it was safe. Um, currently, what the city does to certify the water is safe is every three years they uh, test a token number, um, 50, like 50, yeah, 50, yeah, 50 homes. 50. Crazy. Um, yeah, out of the you know, million, millions of homes here in Chicago, of course, carefully selected typically oh, yeah, out yeah. in yeah. the yeah. I mean, there's no chance of those 50 homes. Yeah, have been those are the ones they know. Right? Yeah. There's no chance of corruption um, in this matter. <laughs> right, but but for the, so for the rest of us, there really is no uh, accurate testing other than um, what's being done um, now by by individuals. Recently, the city began offering um, a great example of outsourcing um, water testing kits uh, to residents of Chicago so that people can test uh, their own water. And these are how we were finding these massively uh, elevated levels high above what the city had been saying um, for years. And of course, it goes without saying, you know, there, there is no safe level uh, of lead for people to be consuming, especially right. children. Um, it leads to a number of de- developmental um, disorders and problems. And it really is just, uh, you know, not healthy as a neurotoxin um, that is being pumped in to the homes uh, of Chicago residents. Well, this is important, right? Because there is a level... There is a minimum level or what is it? It's that, right? f- five parts per billion right, that right. is allowed in bottled water. But, right. And and that's I think the same standard for tap water, right? I think it's actually fifteen is for it, tap water. It? I mean, there's right there's and there's no safe amount of lead right. in water because it is a neurotoxin. And all, what we know about lead is like thorough. Mm-hmm. Scientifically speaking, it is absolutely no good for human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is even worse because this is even more troubling because who's going to be affected by it more? It's going to be, it's going to be, people are going to be affected who have less resources because if you have more resources, you can test your lead, test the water yourself. You can get like a very good filtration mm-hmm. system to get the most of the lead out or all of the lead out. Mm-hmm. But if you live in a, in a poor community, a black community, Latino immigrant community, or maybe you're elderly, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or and, and especially if you're a children in an oppressed community, mm-hmm. like the chances that you are going to be affected more by this are just, well, they're obvious, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just, it's criminal. How long ago did you order that test kit that you haven't gotten yet? So I, yeah, we, we were mentioning before the um, test kits that were offered. Um, I ordered mine about a month and a half ago, um, has still not arrived. Yikes. So I can only speak from my personal experience here, but my personal experience says maybe the city is not being as uh, timely and prompt with these promised uh, water testing kits as they, they claim to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I looked into the process. It looks mm-hmm. like it, it's like kind of arduous. It is. So, and if people like you have to do it yourself, mm-hmm. the city should come mm-hmm. out and do it. 
Oh, yeah. 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 Like, like I say, it's, you know, just another example of them trying to push off what is clearly, you know, a collective city obligation uh, onto on individuals. I mean, what else should they be doing? Mm-hmm. What, what should a city government be doing? I mean, if people are being poisoned, I mean, they should be stopping the poisoning. Absolutely. There should Absolutely. be a war on this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we should mm-hmm. fight that war. I'd be there. And um, I, I think, you know, what's what's kind of ironic about this is actually the city is in the process of, as it says, overhauling um, the aging aging water treatment and pipes throughout the city. But they've specifically said they will not be replacing any of the lead service lines uh, in the city during this maintenance. Instead, they're only going to replace the water mains. And this um, process of construction and reconnecting new pipes to these lead service lines is actually going to further corrode them, going to exacerbate the problem, and likely even elevate um, levels of lead throughout the city as as they're spending hundreds right, right. of millions of dollars right. to poison us more, essentially. Yeah, and, and I don't think... I think I mean, I've looked into this. I have a small child, so I looked into the what's in the water and stuff, and I have a filter. Um, but it was surprising to me because at first I saw they treat the water, you know, with anti-leaching additives or whatever that are supposed to, like, keep the water from absorb or, you know, the lead filter getting into the water. Uh, evidently, that doesn't even work, mm-hmm. you know? Oh no, yeah. They, especially with um, when the new new construction happens. I mean, there, there's some, um, you know, obviously some effect of, of allowing it, but when when the pipes are disturbed in other ways, it pretty much does away with any protective coating or anything that's there, and just just makes this problem worse. Um, and of course, it's not. Um, I, I also think it's important to remember. You know, we're talking about uh, here in Chicago, of course, but obviously, you know, the the whole issue of um, lead and water kind of um, came to many people's uh, minds and consciousness in 2014 um, when news about what was happening in Flint, Michigan, um, started coming out. And since then, um, you know, several other cities, Milwaukee, similarly, mm-hmm. um, has elevated lead problems. Um, a number of cities throughout the Midwest are suffering, um, <clears throat> you know, these same causes. It shows a pattern of just total disregard by city management for the people who are living in these cities, of course, primarily, um, you know, the poor uh, and black and brown communities of these cities are just being poisoned with with no regard. You know, it's not just a Chicago problem. It's clearly a, a problem with this country where we're not willing uh, to invest, you know, the needed resources just to not poison people. Right? Yeah, it makes me very angry that, you know, especially like poor pregnant people, and children from poor families are the ones that already don't have access to proper health care. And now there's like this added thing that they're being essentially, you know, poisoned by the city, you know, with the with the heavy metals in the water. Yeah, there's, <clears throat> there's so many contaminants and, and uh, um, poisons in the environment. You know, I, I mean, again, I have a small child. I mean, you ha- you have you kind of have to get your child a lead test mm-hmm. like while they're while they're growing up because it's just everywhere it's in the paint it's in the water you know will you're going to say something yeah i just had a question Mm -hmm. so because the city has stated that they are not in charge of the maintenance for the leads from the water mains to apartments Mm -hmm. um that would either fall on homeowners or landlords because tenants can't really do anything with that right of course yeah if you're renting um you know you're not able even you find out you are being poisoned by lead. There's very little that you can do other than trying to, you know, just buy a, a filter and, and hoping for the best. You, of course, can't replace the line itself. It's, it's interesting, actually, until um, 
way up until 1986, and this is much later than um, other other cities throughout the region. Uh, the city of Chicago mandated. Um, it was like in the building code. Yeah, they they made that you had to have a lead um, <clears throat> a lead water line connecting from the main uh, to your street. So that means pretty much any city that is built, or excuse me, any any building in the city um, built prior to 1986 is de facto going to be contaminated. Right, right. And is there any legal recourse that we have against our landlords for that kind of thing? Um, I Actually, well, there was recently a class action um, lawsuit brought against the city. Um, this wasn't landlords, but brought against the city in order to make them, um, you know, give some restitution. Actually, one part of this lawsuit was to actually mandate full-scale testing, so we can actually get a sense for how large this problem is. Because we wait, don't let's, know. let's just pause there. There's been no full-scale testing. There's been right. no full-scale right. testing. No. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> this is so. So mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, the question is, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. um, I know we kind of stress that. We're sitting around this table doing this podcast, and we're talking about we talk about a lot of stuff, and we do talk about what can we do about different things. But we're here in Chicago, mm -hmm. right? And it seems like nobody's really doing anything about this. Of course, there are things happening, and I know I, I heard people speak at the last city council meeting denouncing the mayor. Mm -hmm. um, I saw it broadcast on social media, but I believe something bigger has to be done and perhaps people are not doing it because it does seem so big yeah. what's the number of how many uh lead lines are there in two people's homes in the city do you know the number the, i don't it, know the the precise number i mean yeah. i know it's in the it's in the i mean it's got to be like a in huge the hundreds, number. Of, hundreds, tens of thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. it's got to be so many so the money that's needed to actually do this right or even so okay what do you have like the testing kits getting people filters changing the lines and getting the lead out of the out of the water supply right mm -hmm. i mean any of those is going to cost a lot of money absolutely right? yeah but all of them have to be done mm -hmm. and we live in chicago it's one of the richest places in the history of the entire planet plenty of anywhere money. that it can be if they can put mm -hmm. the if they can put the lines in mm -hmm. they can take them out but it's obviously not going to happen without pressure mm -hmm. right? so i'm sure a lot of people are looking at it and going you know that's just too big mm-hmm um, that's too big of a thing to tackle. But you know what? We're revolutionaries. We're socialists. We're fighters. If we hear something's too big to tackle, maybe we can't tackle it. You know, maybe we don't have the resources to tackle it. But maybe we ought to attempt to. I, and maybe and maybe we can get something done. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe we can get something done this summer. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to get involved in getting the lead out of Chicago's water supply on behalf of the workers and oppressed people, children, elderly, pregnant mothers, then maybe you should contact Answer Chicago or PSL Chicago and maybe we should work, we should get out into the streets, work on a petitioning campaign, get in the mayor's face. Did I say that? Get in the mayor's face. You want to get in the mayor's face? Absolutely. About, no, and I'm, I'm, and I'm <laughs> talking to very... people. I'm talking to the millions of people listening to this podcast. Just, you know, yeah. join us. We're going to, we're going to, no, we're taking it to the city hall. Just very briefly, I have the uh, Mayo Clinic list of uh, lead poisoning symptoms just in children. We're talking developmental delay, learning difficulties, irritability, loss of appetite, weight loss, sluggishness and fatigue, abdominal pain, vomiting, constipation, hearing loss, seizures. This is, um, this is like something we have to fight for the good of our children, for the good of the, uh, the oppressed communities across Chicago and around uh, the country. 
you know. And let me, I mean, this is just one thing, right, too. I mean, how many other things do we not know about the environment around us? I mean, I know that they've been testing soil on the south side yep. for a while, mm-hmm. uh, just across the border in Indiana, which is basically part of the metro area. Um, you know, they say that, I mean, it, it appears that the rivers are being cleaned up, but perhaps they're being cleaned up for tourists. But I'm sure they're not as clean as they say they are. I mean, you know, the environmental fight is not just a, like, you know, it's not, it is, of course, and there's no contradiction between these two, a global fight about trying to stop global warming. But it's also a fight everywhere because the capitalists have had, have, have had control of the economy and have put profit before everything else for the last hundreds of years. And everything is in, and as long as things don't get solved, it's just all these problems are just piling up. It's a crisis. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, I'm glad you brought up the uh, other environmental toxins and pollutants, because that that is something we need to take in mind to consider the whole picture. You know, we're talking about um, the lead in the water. But, you know, as you mentioned, um, soil, lead soil levels are also extremely elevated uh, in Chicago and the Pilsen neighborhood, uh, particularly. Um, There was a couple years back the the testing that found in playgrounds where children are huge um, right, right. levels like 10 times the the, the legal limit um, and this was a, as you, you rightly made the connection um, was able even to be directly connected um, to industry course, in the yeah. area capitalists who then of course sure. refused to, to pay yeah. anything to, to attempt to clean it up um, you know so w- kind of comes from every way that people are getting um, poisoned by this city and and just, you know, nothing is being done um, to prevent it, much less than um, even other cities like like Milwaukee, for example, at least say, oh, you know, if there's regularly scheduled maintenance, we'll replace the the lead lines. Milwaukee does that? Milwaukee, which is insultingly slow. See, we can force a city. I mean, I think people like us, or we, mm -hmm. we can force a city to do something like that, replace the lead lines, all of them. Um, how much is it again that Rom wants to invest in the Cop Academy? <laughs> uh, enough that I believe it, it could give us some. I'm about to say curse, but some clean water. I mean, that's it's like almost a hundred million dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot of pipes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I literally looked it up. I knew a cor- I knew it was something like this. There's 400,000 lead service lines in Chicago with thousands more in Chicago suburbs, yeah. surrounding wow. suburbs. Lead poisoning can well, be fatal. Well, that's why they don't want to that's why they don't want to do it. It's mm-hmm. a, what is it? It's a money calculation, not a people calculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what we I was just going to say that that's what we got to fight against. Mm-hmm. We need a people calculation and not a money calculation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Yep. I believe you did. Yeah, yeah. So, Quite Patrick, any, so. any any last thoughts or words? before we trail off into the sunset well just that i i think um <clears throat> and uh thanks for filling in for don yeah, thanks man hey, uh, feel like uh, prairie hey, communist, don absolutely. prairie communist if you're listening um where were you yeah what happened <laughs> what the heck man what happened riding the this range is, this is your stuff mm-hmm. um patrick, well patrick did a patrick did a fine job yeah. prairie communist <laughs> not, not not as well as don would have done certainly there you go. Oh, oh, wow. um, <laughs> so sweet that's some humility that's what we need to be yeah. Yeah. you um, need to be on the show more because you bring that type of aspect none of us have that <laughs> <laughs> none of us have that. Very try, try to balance it out a little yeah, bit thank you um no but i i'm very heartened to hear i think um what we do need is a fighting campaign i know they've started that um in other cities and that has has you know put pressure and been able to um you know get some reforms and this is something that really cannot um you know cannot wait absolutely as, as people are getting poisoned like this you know i think we do need some sort of uh you know campaign uh 
against those in charge, against the mayor, against the city, against the business interests that are preventing us um, from not being poisoned by the water we'd have to drink every day. Yeah, the, I'm sure the rulers of this city have filters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, doubt. I'm mm-hmm. sure their water's tested. You think Rom's children have, have lead in them? <laughs> Oh no! I don't say you down. don't don't say you want them to. We don't, we don't wish that. Uh, um, but I'm sure that uh, I wish yeah. that everybody had clean drinking right. water. Yeah. 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 Well, everybody. Yeah, had, I, I yeah. do. I do too. Yeah. In the abstract, I mean, I don't really care. What, I don't. I don't care what Ron Emanuel drinks. <laughs> Yeah. Is that too severe? <laughs> uh, Wills, we're going to cut that. <laughs> no, all I said is I don't care what Rahm Emanuel drinks. Keep it in there. I don't disagree with you. I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't wish any ill will towards any human being. Laugh smirk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Patrick, do you have any closing comments? Closing comments, Patrick. Can you close us out? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Double closing? So, uh, again, what would I, Don say? <laughs> Does he end with a joke? I don't have no. Jokes. No. <laughs> um, he usually has an anecdote prepared. Anecdote prepared. Um, well, actually, I would say that um, if people want to uh, join me on my own uh, quest to attempt to test my water, um, if you you can nice. do that at chicagowaterquality.org. Um, Maybe you'll have better luck than I will in uh, getting the city to be responsive, <laughs> at least in this tiny, tiny way. But um, you can ostensibly like check your water that and way. if you do that report to us let us know how the mm-hmm. how the lead testing kit arrival and pr- process is going please yeah. do tweet mm-hmm. us at uh, crashing d system and twitter and on facebook crashing the system podcast and now a word about our producing organizations Crashing the System is produced by Answer Chicago and the Chicago branch of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Answer Chicago is the local chapter of a national organization, Act Now to Stop War and End Racism, that's dedicated to building a nationwide, independent, fighting mass movement for real change. You can follow Answer Chicago on Facebook and Twitter, or check out the website at answerchicago.org. The Party for Socialism and Liberation believes that socialism... The collective ownership of society's wealth and rational economic planning is the solution to the environmental crisis, endless war, racism, and all of the evils of capitalism and class society. We believe that in order to achieve socialism, a society of equality and plenty, we must have a revolution. The old order of competition, alienation, and oppression must be replaced by a new world of cooperation, sharing, and real equality. We have branches all over the United States and many friends around the world. We are building a party of revolutionaries to help make the people's dreams of peace and prosperity a reality. We hope you join us, either as a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation or as a friend in the struggle. You can follow PSL Chicago on Facebook and Twitter or our website at pslweb.org. The popularity of socialism among the youth is rising, and understandably so. With many students in massive debt from student loans and unable to secure a job after graduation or working multiple part-time jobs to make ends meet and pay high rent costs, it's no wonder that the socialist program of free education, free housing, and a guaranteed job for all would be gaining momentum. Polls show that over 55% of young people today view socialism favorably. It is absolutely vital that we support this growing movement of socialist youth as they learn, struggle, and expand their class consciousness. I agree. That's right. And how can we go about uh, supporting the socialist youth? Don't we have something uh, coming up on the docket? We have a socialism <laughs> conference coming up, and we have a lot of youth coming to it. That's it's right. Midwest Socialism Conference. 
and there'll be young people coming from all over the Midwest. And we do have, Vex, to answer your question, we do have a gun, go, a gun, I was going to say gun fund. Me, you know? <laughs> we have a GoFundMe to support these youth with their travel and housing expenses. What is it? Yeah, it's uh, GoFundMe. It's Youth to Socialism Conference. Um, we've raised quite a bit, but I mean, if we can always raise a bit more, I mean, we, we got we to gotta support the youth, folks. Um, so you can go we on We have our, to raise this money because people are waiting for it, It's actually. incredibly vital. Um, so you can go to GoFundMe.com slash youth dash two slash do youth slash two slash socialism slash conference or check out our social media um the you youth, can also just search youth to socialism conference on gofundme that, that, would that be might a be easier. a lot easier it sounds so, easier now that you're saying it out loud actually. yeah that's right so yeah. check out our varying social media platforms again that's uh, right. just look up Youth to Socialism Conference on GoFundMe should be there. And it's all it's on all of our social media platforms. Yeah, it's on PSL, PSL Chicago, Chicago Facebook, and the PSL. Uh, I don't know if it's system. on the Answer Chicago thing, but it's on oh, it's PLC. It, I don't know if it's on that either. We need to put it on there. But it's definitely it on PSL be. Chicago Facebook and PSL Chicago Twitter. That's yeah. right. And I believe the PSL Twitter, too. So we can just put a hyperlink within the episode. Yeah. We should do that. Can we do that? Yeah. It's done. So I I did want to say something very important. Besides all the things that Samantha listed, of course, the youth are looking around and they're looking at the ongoing problems of uh, things like police brutality, um, the ICE Gestapo being sicked on immigrant immigrants and immigrant workers and immigrant families, and also just you know the trillions of dollars that's spent on wars that are just destroying the lives of people around the planet. Uh, I think young people are looking at the future like young people look at the future and they're more and more rejecting the status quo and rejecting capitalism and socialism is one answer to people who are uh, rejecting this current status quo and this, the way this society is organized um, and I, you know I believe that it, it is the answer I mean I'm not I don't want to be too rigid about exactly what socialism means or what it will mean in the future but we're talking about a revolutionary movement among youth right. and what would be more important than that from my perspective there's no honestly there's nothing more important than a wave of youth being won over to socialism and this conference is that we're having is one way people can be won over so you could actually look at the gofundme we're doing the money we're trying to raise for these youth as an important way to change the entire course of the planet and history that sounds, it does sound like hyperbole when I say it, but I don't think it is. I think things like don't like making sure a young person from Nashville or a young person from Minneapolis, for example, or a young person from uh, Dayton, Ohio, can make it to the conference and, uh, and, and progress further along in their road towards revolutionary organizing, socialist organizing. I mean, that's what I... I, uh, actually, I'm going to donate when we're done with this thing. I don't know why I haven't donated yet. I'm going to personally donate because I don't know what's more important. I mean, I spend all my time trying to do that exact thing. Right. But might as well make it like a concrete thing. Yeah. How much should I donate? Five thousand dollars. Five thousand. <laughs> this is this is episode I, I, fourteen. I, 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 so how about fourteen? You can spare fourteen dollars, right? Hey, you know what? Everybody listening, to this donate fourteen dollars right now. This is episode fourteen of crashing the system. You know what Fourteen dollars like, in the donation. Right. Like Samantha's done something like that before. Like. You know, if we everybody says we're going to donate fourteen dollars, it's like it's a thing where you're doing a collect, collective work, and it actually help it help more people donate. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people can afford. Like I don't know, I spend money on silly things sometimes, or going out to eat. You know, it's or it's eating. A, <laughs> yeah, or eating. I like yeah. to eat.
Um, but yeah, it, it's a small amount, but if a lot of people do it, then it really adds up. And um, I know that, you know, people have been donating, but we haven't hit our goal yet. And we actually right. need more than our goal. Amount. Yeah, we need more than our goal. And that, that conference is right around the corner, folks. It's June 9th, the Midwest Socialism Conference so in now. Chicago, Illinois. What's that? So now. people. Need so to do right now. now, that's right. And again, you can check out Youth to Socialism Conference and GoFundMe.com. There will be tons of links available on our various social media platforms. By the time this is out, for sure. Yes. Check it We're out, do it right now. Check it out. That's it for this episode. Make sure to spread the word. Share, tweet, or subscribe to us on Patreon. Catch our podcast every week on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spreaker. Join Answer Chicago and the Party for Socialism and Liberation. But even more than that, join the real resistance to this racist, billionaire-dominated system that would rather fund endless imperialist wars than feed the poor. Thanks for joining Crashing the System. My name is Samantha Jacobs. John Vex and myself may be done with this episode, but we are in no way done organizing to crash the system and build a better world from its ashes. Take care. <laughs>